you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. That was a very rigorous announcement. Well done, ladies. Um, hey, this morning I get to uh, continue moving us forward in our series through First Peter. Um, and I, I just want to re- read you and remind you of our theme, living hope. First Peter 1.3, it says this, Praise be to God. In his great mercy, he's giving us, given us new birth into a living hope, paraphrase, because Jesus is alive right? Praise God. We've been reborn into something that's alive and hopeful because Jesus is alive. We sing those songs. I hope it comes through in the preaching. But listen, the resident ground zero place for Christ to be alive is in your heart. He desires to break open, kick open, if necessary, new doors of taking up space in your life so that his living hope, so the life of God can be present in your everyday life. And no place is that more necessary than in our homes, right? I mean, our homes, that's like ground zero for everything that goes on. Your home should be your favorite place on earth. It should be the place of respite, of renewal, of joy, of laughter, of friendship. Even when sorrow hits our homes, it's to be a place of support and strength. Not always the case. For those of you, like me, who may have experienced some trauma in your home, you know that home can be a dangerous place. But this scripture, praise God, because in his mercy, he's reborn us into a living hope because Jesus is alive. And so today, I'm going to pick up in 1 Peter, where Peter begins talking about the home, specifically marriage. And these are principles, and these are things not just for the married, they are for all of us, because God's principles are true in every format, in every setting. But he begins to call out husbands and wives here. I have here in my notes, marriage is one of God's greatest gifts and one of Satan's favorite targets. I think it's because it is such a beautiful gift from God that Satan desires to steal to kill, and destroy. All that's potential there. The joy and the beauty of marriage and healthy families is just an incredible experience. I hope you've experienced some of that. However, the pain and the suffering of broken or empty marriages and families that experience pain and abuse is devastating. There are spouses and children of bad marriages past history He is alive and he is at work today in our worlds, in our homes, and in our marriages. Amen? Amen. Amen. Some interesting facts about, um, interesting and devastating facts about marriages. They say 42% of all first marriages end in divorce. It's a lot. It's too many. 60% of all second marriages end in divorce. There is no one in our world and there is no one in this room who has not been affected by divorce. Broken marriages. 
Here's something interesting and quite wonderful, actually. 17% of people who were married in 2015 married someone from a different race or ethnicity. That's kind of fun. And it's not talking about like two different Lutherans marrying each other because they're in different synods. Yesterday, I was a part of a wedding here that um, Dan Harder, you guys know Dan? Yep, he's, exper- he's not here, don't applaud, but when he comes back, just smile and hug him. Um, he married a girl with, uh, his, her dad was from Ghana. And so he had this giant Ghanaian element to the wedding. And they're, they're like bringing the bride price, and they're asking the family to accept the price. Is it enough? Do you agree? It was super cool. And at the end, they jumped over a broom. I don't know why they jumped over a broom. But it was this fusion of cultures. It was like a, a Ghana, Ghanaian wedding and a kind of an American tradition. Fused, and it was a ton of fun. It was long. It was a long wedding. But it was joyful and it was wonderful. Anyway, 17% in 2015 of people that got married were from different race or ethnicity. I think that's fantastic. Here's something interesting and challenging. 40%, 39% of people that get married marry someone from a different religious group. And the majority of those are Christians who marry people who are not religiously affiliated, basically who aren't Christians. 40%, 39% of marriages in 2015, Christians, not all of them, but many of them were Christians who got married to people who weren't Christians. Listen, that's a dangerous proposition. Not because non-Christians aren't wonderful people, they are. Not because people that don't follow Christ aren't beautifully made in God's image and deserve a great life, they do. But the issue is the issue of yoking and partnership, right? That if one person wants to follow hard and pursue and passionately go after Jesus, and the other person really doesn't, whether they're indifferent or whether they're diabolically opposed, diabolically? Diametrically opposed. Diabolical is different. (laughs) I will subvert your faith. I didn't mean to say diabolical. Diametrical, different directions. But that is, that's the issue of yoking. Don't be yoked, right? Unevenly yoked. And so you want to marry someone who you can yoke with and run hard in the same direction. But that wasn't the case for 1 Peter. You see, in 1 Peter, wives or husbands, spouses, are coming to Christ, and the other one was not yet coming to Christ. And so Peter writes to these 39%. He's writing to people, how do you function in a marriage where there is this inequality, where one's running after Jesus and one is not, whether they're just apathetic or whether they're opposed? And these principles of marriage are life-giving to those who are married in a less-than-perfect world. And in that, we have perfect commonality with the first century. Peter is writing to people in difficult times in marriage and in society. Difficult times. We today live in dangerous times for marriage, for even just our own sense of sanity and peace and happiness. And so the principles that we're going to read, the things we're going to see, are life-giving in those environments. Because Jesus is our living hope, and he wants us to to burst forth with hope and life, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, particularly our marriage circumstances. And so therefore, 
If you are a Christian or you're a married person here today, you are to intentionally work at strengthening your marriage relationship. This is not something you can just let coast. It needs to be something on your radar, and you need to be asking yourself, how can I become a better husband? All right, let's just practice. Just if you're a married man, say it with me. How can I become a better husband to the beautiful woman that God gave me? Good. Your first step is admitting you need help. If you're a wife here, then you need to intentionally work on strengthening your marriage. So, wives, repeat after me. How can I intentionally work on being a better wife to that big stud muffin that God gave me? It's okay. Even if you don't have to shout it or anything, just say it. Listen, if you're not married, but you want to be married, good for you. Prepare yourself. Ask yourself the question. Actually, repeat after me. You're not married, repeat this question. How can I prepare my heart, prepare my life for my future spouse? This is for everybody. Listen to me. Maybe you're not married and you don't ever want to be married. Good for you. That's okay. Paul says good for you. That's great. You don't have to get married. You can live a full, wonderful, incredible life for God and be an incredible blessing. So that's okay. However, you still have to ask yourself, how can I honor marriage and support the marriages around me So let me ask you, if you're one of those who never, ever wants to get married, repeat after me. I'm just kidding. You don't have to repeat after me. (laughs) That shouldn't be common knowledge. So turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and read with me. 1 Peter chapter 3 says this. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words but by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth. Some translations, which is precious. In God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you to the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I have a lot I want to pack in here, so I'm going to move swiftly. The first thing I want you to see, wives in the same way, husbands in the same way. What way is Peter referring to? He's referring to just before that, in the end of chapter 2, 
when he talks about how Jesus functioned in a hostile world that was against him. How Jesus functioned in less than ideal circumstances, it says this, 1 Peter 2, 23, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds we've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd of your soul. When Peter says, wives in the same way, husbands in the same way, he's saying, just like Jesus lived, so you should live. So you should die to your sins and live for righteousness. So you should suffer, even unjust suffering, without retaliating or trying to get even. Peter is saying, look, if you're going to find yourself in a marriage situation, you're going to have to learn how to live like Jesus did, or you're going to kill each other. A lot of unhappiness exists in marriage because we fail to, in the same way, to be in the same way. Ask yourself, am I in the same way? Am I in the same way as Jesus? Am I in my own way? Am I in somebody else's way? Or am I in the same way as Jesus? Am I in this not for what I can get out of it, but for what I can give? Am I in this so that I can serve, not lord and control and dominate? You gotta ask yourself, what are you in it for? And Peter says, listen, if you wanna have healthy marriage, a live home, healthy home, then you need to be in the same way as Jesus. It starts and ends there. Let's pray. We need help to be like Jesus, don't we? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these moments we have together, just fleeting moments. But God, we know your word is eternal. It's powerful. God, that your word would take root in our hearts, that imperishable things would grow, that we wouldn't live just, Lord, for this life or what we can get out of life. But God, we would have on our minds and on our agendas and our passions would be, Lord, how can we live for eternity, for eternal things? Lord, we say, God, let our way be the same way as the way of Jesus. Let our way, God, be the same way, Lord, as you designed us to be. God, rid us of sin. Spotlight sin. Though it might hurt, God, shine the spotlight of your grace and your kindness on our sin. God, that we might find mercy. That we might be reborn into a living hope. Let Jesus reign in this place, in our hearts, in our families. God, in our marriages. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me check on the wives thing. Um, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This submission issue has been such an issue for so long, right? I mean, I, was, I told a few people that I was going to be preaching husbands and wives, and like, oh, I'll pray for you. <laughs> because submission is such a hard thing for us to get our heads around. I mean, some old, more traditional marriages back in the day, it was, you know, a, a wife would just fully submit and do whatever her husband said. There was this idea that a wife kind of gave up who she was to submit to her husband. I don't think it really was that way back in the olden days, but we have this stereotype that for a wife to get married, she has to fully give up kind of who she is and submit herself to her husband. This is not Peter's 
intention. The very fact that Peter is writing probably to women who have come to Christ, and they're likely married to men who are not coming to Christ, demonstrates the freedom and the independence and the strength, and he's commending them for their decision to follow Christ. Because back in the first century, it was very, very culturally um, insignificant and important that a wife would never have her own religion. She would always only take on the religion of her husband. And actually, it was even further said that a wife shouldn't even have her own friends. That a wife, a good wife, would have only the friends of her husband's. I mean, it was a domineering, controlling setting. And here, Peter is saying, look, wives, it's amazing that you have come to follow Christ. And he's recognizing now the tension and the dissonance it's going to create in the home. And so when he's saying, submit yourselves to your husband, he's not saying, do whatever your husband says, give up your faith. You know, he is saying, look, as you live out the expression of your faith, it's not to try to dominate or control or undermine your husband. I mean, biblical submission does not mean that the husband is the boss. Hear me on this. I have done a lot of pre-marriage counseling and, you know, preparing couples. And one of the exciting and sometimes dangerous conversations is a topic about submission. And some young men, because they don't know, they'll, they'll say, you know what it means? I have the final word. I make the final decision. And I think to myself, this young man's never been married you go with that and see how far that works for you. But it's, it's not so much that, but there can be in men this underlying expectation that if they're the man, that somehow they're the boss. They are the ones who have the right to control, not just the household, but their wives. And it's just not a biblical picture of what it means to be the spiritual leader in the home. And many wives are put under this weird, false pressure that they can't be fully who God made them to be. That they can't fully express all of the greatness that is in them, the strength and the wonder and and all of the gifting that God has placed in them because somehow they just got to sit under this man. That is not God's purpose for you women. You are meant to be everything and all that God has fashioned and formed you to be. And let me tell you something. Everything in the Bible that comes from the Holy Spirit is not just for men. It's for you too. Live in the fullness. But it does say submit to your husbands. And so what is it trying to get at? Well, he's saying this. While your husband shouldn't subdue or dominate you, you should, in the freedom that you have in Christ, position yourself to honor, to respect, and to lift up your husband. That it is the distinct, unique, and critical role of a wife to use all of her amazing gifts and power to strengthen her husband, to honor him, to give him his place. And I think it's so interesting that he says, don't use your many words. (laughs) Because if you're a man, you know this. Sometimes the many words of a wife does not, in fact, honor and give him his place. A man will feel, feel nagged or undermined or somehow subverted or criticized by his wife's many words. And, and that is a team dynamic that husbands and wives need to figure out. 
A wise wife has to know, you know what? I don't need to tell him because she knows it's obvious already anyways. But for her to be able to say, I'm not going to speak to him these things, but I'm going to live in such a reverent, honoring way. I know that God will reveal to my husband what he needs to know. And there are other moments when a wife needs to speak and share the wisdom she has. But the point of a wife submitting to her husband is to honor and give him his place. Listen, in a Roman world where this was written, everyone, everyone, everyone knew that the man was the boss. The husband ruled it all. But that is not what Peter is saying. What Peter is writing in this letter is subverting the cultural notion that the man is in control, that he can domineer his home or his wife. But he's saying to the wife, listen, it's not your job to control him either. Let me further expound on that. Sin seeks to control. And if you're in a marriage today, you know the issues of control. They're not just personality things, it's sin. If you go back to the fall, when Adam and Eve first turned their back on God, went their own way, disobeyed God, and sin entered the world, there were many effects. They were no longer dignified in the image of God. They were ashamed. They began to blame one another. And one of the curses that came, you'll see it in Genesis 3.16, God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Part of the curse of sin in human marriages is that the wife wants, and this desire, it's not like I really desire him. He's really cute. I really want to hug him and kiss him and have him for my own. That's not the kind of desire that God is talking about here. It's the same like in Genesis 4, 7, when God is talking to Cain, after Cain is thinking about killing his brother, he says to him, sin is crouching at your door, God says to Cain. It desires to have you. That's the same desire to have your husband that God is speaking of. There is this conflict that goes on in marriage relationships, in male-female relationships of control, but the man will lord over you. And so both the lording of the man and the controlling of the woman is part of the curse of sin on your life. And if you yield to being a domineering, controlling husband or you subverting, controlling wife, you are yielding and giving in to sin that wants to destroy your family. If you find yourself domineering or lording or you find yourself trying to control Stop looking at the other person. If by the grace of God you recognize it and you say, oh God, have mercy on me. Hit your knees. Say, God, deliver me from the sin of control. And so wives says, listen, don't try to control. Submit yourself to your to be less than who you are, but so that you might be all that God has you to. You know, when we talk about spiritual leadership in the home, I believe that God designed men and women beautifully, differently, that they phenomenally complement each other. Not just in their physiology, not just in their emotions, not just in who they are as humans, but also as how God designs the home. And so I believe in a husband's leadership role in the home and in the marriage. For a man not to kind of stand up and take the right leadership in his home, 
it cripples the home. It makes the home vulnerable. There are many wives that are longing for their husbands to step up and be a strong spiritual man in the home to really lead. But that leadership doesn't have anything to do with control or domination. Because biblical leadership, Jesus makes it so, so clear. Let me take you to Jesus' conversation about leadership. In Matthew 20, verse 25, they're fighting over who will be the greatest, who will be on top. His disciples are, Jesus' disciples are. Jesus called them together and he says, look, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord their leadership over the people. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Listen, if you're a a husband or you want to be a husband, and you're in this room right now, understand that your leadership is real and you need to rise to it. But your leadership is not about lording. Say it with me. Not so with you. And sometimes we men, we don't really know how to lead. We think leading in the home or leading anywhere is somehow we got to take control and we got to call the shots. Buck stops with me. I get the final decision. I am leading. I'm in control. That is a profoundly worldly form of leadership. It's like the Gentiles do. Jesus pointed it out. That is not how godly men or godly leaders, men or women, lead. A a godly leader, I'll let Jesus finish his words. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ran- as a ransom for many. Listen, when, when God, we're called a godly leadership in the home, we are called to radical servanthood. And here's what a godly leader does. He doesn't attract it and accumulate all the power and control to himself, but he sees the giftings, he sees the opportunities, and he lets people rise up in the midst of it. If, you want to, if you're a godly leader, there are people rising up all around you. And in the home, it's your wife who's rising up, who's flourishing. It's your children. You're not subduing them. I mean, you're teaching them discipline. You're teaching them self-control. But you're, you're seeing their gifts. You're fanning it into fire. You're pouring into them. And you're seeing your kids and your wife and your whole family, all those around you, rising in their own anointings and giftings and callings in life. Which is so much more different than to say everything's wrapped up in dad and dad has a say. That is not godly leadership. That is worldly leadership because it serves himself. But a godly leader serves those around and lifts people up. I think any wife would delight to honor and elevate a man like that in her marriage. I think that takes all the pressure off us men who may or may not really even know how to be a spiritual leader. But some of you say, you know what? If being a, a spiritual leader in my home means caring for people, means serving, means helping people become the greatest they can be, that I don't have to be this somehow Napoleon on a horse leader, let's go charge with all the answers. I don't know why I picked Napoleon, by the way. <laughs> Little French guy. <laughs> There's freedom in that, man. We can rise to that. And that's the leadership that Jesus modeled. And that's the leadership that Jesus will bless. 
So many people have not seen godly leadership ever modeled in their lives, particularly in their homes, their families of origin. And we grapple and struggle with what does it really mean to be a Christian husband? You start there by serving and elevating those around you. Let me talk to the wives a minute about their beauty and their power. Verse 3, it says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment or elaborate hairstyles. What? That'll save a lot of money, by the way. Right there. They say financial pressure is one of the most powerful devastators of marriage. If we just take it easy on the elaborate hairstyles, I think we'll be a lot. I'm sorry. Now am I in trouble? Sorry. You go on with those hairstyles. Um, Man, gold jewelry or fine clothes? We're like going to be the Amish. I mean, there are some Christian expressions that take this super literally. They're like, let's just simplify everything. Let's get rid of the makeup. Let's get rid of the fancy clothes. Let's do straight hair. Let's just... I think what Peter is doing here is he's demonstrating a contrast for you wives, for women. He says there's a contrast between those who spend all of their time and energy on the external and not enough time and energy on the internal. That the most beautiful and the most powerful position for a woman is to have what he calls an un, the unfading beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. He's not talking about your personality. Some of you ladies are way too loud to ever say, I got a quiet and gentle spirit. Bah! I'm not going to call people out, but I know when Michelle Smith is at work and when she's not. Because when she's not, I can faintly hear her screaming from across the parking lot. And when she is, it's like right next door to my office. Sorry. Peace. It's not talking about your personality. I could be this quiet, meager person. No, it's about being at rest. It's about being at peace in your soul. It is well with my soul. That the stresses and the pressures and all the things that twist and contort and rip the joy out of your heart, that those things have been brought to Jesus. As you follow the Lord, you find great grace in your inner world. And so, I mean, some people have gone so far as to say, if you spend as much time cultivating a, a, a peaceful heart as you spend cultivating, cultivating hair, you'd be in a better place. And sometimes we spend all our time on the external and we don't spend the, the time necessary to be at rest before Jesus, to have him deal with our insecurities and our fears, to be made whole. And so Peter is telling Christian wives, listen, you want to bless your husband? You want to be a testimony to your husband? Lose the crazy. Find the peace. Be content. Work on the unfading beauty of this inner world. It's a glorious picture. And he he roots it in the history of the Jewish nation with Sarah. I'm going to keep going, but I want to do this last bit on women. Because Peter gets it. He says... Women, continue to do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Don't fear that which is frightening. Um, I have to admit, as a married man, I don't have the full perspective of what it means to be a married woman. 
That has not been my experience. But over the years, I've begun to scratch at and grasp a little of the terrifying nature of what it must be for a woman to give herself in marriage to a man. I mean, she's got to give up her name. She's got to give up her family of origin, the safety of, in the right situations, a father's safety. So when we walk our daughters down the aisle, which I did less than a year ago, it's a terrifying event because all my life I've protected and I've cared for and I've nurtured this precious daughter. And I hand it over to some guy <laughs> who doesn't know anything. He thinks he loves my daughter, but he hasn't even begun to know what loving her would really take from him. I know. I know. I've lived that every day, every night when I put her to bed. I know the, what I would do, what us dads would do to protect our daughters. And suddenly we just hand them off to some ill-equipped punk who just wants to have sex? I'm just like, that, that's terrifying. Come on, am I sharing too much? Am I being too honest here? So for a woman to submit herself and give herself to this young man's leadership, it's terrifying. And you know what? I don't blame a woman for being nervous about that. I suppose the best thing that could happen to her is she's just so enamored and infatuated that she's not aware of it until, you know, after she's married. Then she's like, holy cow, this guy doesn't know anything. No, that maybe isn't the best. But the point is that Peter acknowledges that for a wife to put herself in the hands of her husband can be a scary thing. It can be a scary thing. And you know what? That is true. I think just acknowledge that. And for us husbands to realize it's a lot. So be aware of the vulnerability that she is choosing in becoming your wife. And that leads us into men. So for the husbands. The women got like six verses. The husbands get one. It's because your attention span is about one-sixth. I get it. I'm not offended by that. I appreciate it. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Just give me the one. I'm going to just work on that one for my whole life. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be in the same way as Jesus. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you to the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayers. My goodness. All right, a couple things. Number one, consider your wife. It kind of bridges to consider your wife. She has chosen to submit herself to you. She has chosen to honor you and put herself in your care. Think about her. Consider her. Learn to understand her situation. I, I think I put a little note here after I got done. I was like, you know what? 
think about her and stop thinking about yourself. I mean, it's just a selfless act. It's, it's kind of Christianity 101. It's not about you. Men, in our marriages, it's not about us. Almost everyone gets married because they just think they want to be happy. They think that person will make them happy. But you need to understand that there is no person that can make you happy. Your significance, your love, the love that you need, the purpose that you need in life cannot come from another person. A lot of people live disappointed in marriage. Men live disappointed in marriage because they think their wife is going to complete them. Who thought to put that in the movie? You complete me. It's garbage. No person can complete you. Jesus will complete you. God will make you whole. And men, I'm speaking to men. Men, if you can't be whole and bring your wholeness to your wife, you are putting an unrealistic expectation on that person. She will never live up to that. And you will resent her for not completing you when in fact you're always meant to turn to God. Think about it. Consider her. I like how Dr. Tony Evans talks about this. He says you need to study your wife. And this notion that men are from Mars and women are from Venus and two planets never shall connect, right? It's just, it's, it's not true. It's right here in the Bible. You study your wife. You consider her. You live with her in an understanding way. It is your job as husbands, as men, to learn to understand your wife. Ask the questions. Humble yourself. Read a book. Listen to some podcasts. Find a way to understand the needs of your wife. Remove some of the expectations and begin to understand and learn about her. Dr. Tony Evans says, you need to study her. Some of you have like a kindergarten education in your wife, he says. You don't even have a junior high or a high school education. He says, by the time you are into your marriage, you should be working on a PhD in your spouse. Learn her. She's unique. She's fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's God's great gift to you that you might spend your life learning how she operates. Try understanding her before you try to change her. Consider. Second thing I want to tell you is you need to treat your wife with respect. Honor her. We talk about it in the, with submission about respecting and honor and giving your husband your place. Listen, husbands, you need to respect the precious gift that she is. You need to make it your goal to, to kind of amplify and help leverage your own gifting and positions in life so that she will just become all that she can be. Not more or less, but always. Sometimes serving her means that you're out front making decisions. But oftentimes, serving her means that you set aside your own opinions and you seek to care for her and hear her opinions. The next thing is this. Protect your wives. I've always thought it interesting how he talks about how a woman is the weaker vessel, right? The old version say the weaker vessel or the weaker partner. And I think we can't get away from the fact that Peter's probably acknowledging she's weaker, maybe even in physical stature, I doubt any of us would say they're weaker emotionally. But in Peter's day, 
They were certainly weaker in social stature and power and influence. They had less clout. They, they couldn't own property. They probably didn't control, you know, they weren't in charge. And so they were in a, they were in a weaker position in life. But there's another way to look at this weaker vessel language. And I really think this is helpful. That your wife is a breakable vase. So respect and honor your wife because you can do immeasurable harm. You can break her. This should terrify us husbands. That if we're not living in an understanding way, if we're not serving them with godly biblical leadership that serves and and brings out their best, that you can break and harm your wife. I think that's tied to this really weird part of that verse that says, so that nothing hinders your prayers. Have you ever read that and thought, what does it mean so that nothing hinders my prayers? To me, when I read that, it's an echo of one of the Old Testament prophets back in Malachi. And these Old Testament prophets, they were like the policemen of the covenant. They would remind people when they were falling away from God's way of living. And so when Peter says, hey, don't harm your wife. Honor her. She's a co-heir. She is equal with you. God does not put you ahead of her. Trust me. God sees you as equals. And she is a breakable vase. So respect her so that nothing hinders your prayers. It reminds me of Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to this. You'll remember it's the famous God hates divorce, divorce chapter. But I want you to get past just the God hates divorce. And I want you to hear the heart of the prophet as he's talking about godly marriages. So the prophet says, here's another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. God is not listening to them. Something is hindering their prayers. Verse 14, you ask why. It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not God made you? Has not the one God made you? You belong to him, body and spirit. He's reminding them, you belong to God. Your physical body and your spiritual life, you belong to God. And what does this one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And listen to this. The man who hates or divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. I just, when I, when I read these as a Christian husband, I look at this and I think, I don't want to use my role as a husband to domineer or to diminish my wife or the people in my home. I want to leverage the grace of God and whatever, whatever ability God has given me to lead and to bless as a way to unlock and elevate the people around me. To be attentive, to understand what's happening. And to be very, very careful not to do damage, to do violence to the very ones I'm supposed to protect. And so it's not 
saying that a woman is less because she's a weaker vessel or a breakable vase. It's saying that she is a treasure. She is a treasure and she must be protected and she must be enjoyed and she must be honored. I've come to the end of my notes. What would it be like to be happy in marriage? What would it be like to be married to a woman like Peter describes? Who's certainly very beautiful and has good hair and dresses well, but her priority is to have this secure, quiet, peaceful spirit. She's just secure in the Lord. And she's so powerful and so influential because she's at rest. And her testimony is transforming your home and your broader family and your neighborhood. And someone who gives you your place and honors you, doesn't undermine you, what would that marriage be like? You have, wives, the power to be that woman. God is with you. God is for you. What would it be like to live with a husband who loved you like Peter describes, who considered you, who thought about you, who studies you and seeks, although he may be far from really getting it, seeks to understand you as a respected, treasured, honored person who gives his life to see you thrive and to see you protected and cared for. And the kind of man, because he makes that his goal, that when he prays, heaven races to help. Man, do you want to be like that? Do you want to be the kind of man that like when you pray and you say, God, we need you now. God, we need you now. Lord, come in power. Lord, demonstrate your grace. Have mercy on us. Whatever your prayer might be, that God is racing to your aid. Because you have honored the covenant you made with the wife of your youth. And you have protected and treasured the precious woman that God has put in your hands. It's yours to do. Rise to it. It's not too far from you. Here's the powerful thing. We can forgive one another. We can find the grace of God. And we can rise to these things. Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that your word is powerful and it's helpful and it's practical and it's present. It's here. We can read it. We can understand it. But we can't do it without you. We seem always just to fall back, default into our own selfish way of living, our own small way of thinking our ungracious way of dealing with one another. God, I pray, Lord, for your help in transforming us into husbands and wives, men and women, who are in the same way as Jesus, who are following you, Lord, who are being like you, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and it makes a big difference. God, I pray for wives, Lord, that there would be no condemnation for them, in Christ Jesus. 
God, that you would just come with grace. There'd be no shame. There'd be no sense of failure. Only a burning sense of desire to please you and be that kind of wife. Lord, I pray for men, Lord, that there would be no condemnation. But instead, Lord God, just a humble desire to learn and to rise to that kind of servant leadership, to that kind of role in the home. God, there's so much more to it, but you can show us each that. If we pray, show us, help us to be, show us what it means to be a better husband. Show us what it means to be a better wife. God, let the testimony of the gospel be evident in our homes and marriages. God, I pray for godly offspring. God, that our children would grow up in homes where they learn what it means to be a godly dad and husband, where they learn what it means to be a godly wife and mother. God, even in our failures, God, they would see our repentance. They would see the grace of God rule in our homes. Protect us, Lord, from Satan's schemes. Lord, bless our homes and cause us to rise to the joy in which you've ordered for us. We love you, God. We commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.